You're now listening to the Hot Take Podcast with Stephen Blake, your source for everything fantasy football. Here are your hosts, Stephen Taroni and Blake Sullivan of Roto Baller. Welcome to the show. This is the Hot Take Podcast, and we are back for another show. We are going to get into ideal landing spots for rookies. It is that time of year. This is going to be the last show, most likely before the draft, and we want to just get everybody on the pulse for some of these rookies. Um, we picked a few controversial guys that you're going to see in your dynasty drafts, obviously, in the rookie drafts. And, you know, we're going to talk about them for redraft and if they're worth picking up. I think that's always interesting. You know, you want to take flyers at the end of your drafts, and I think a rookie, especially in today's NFL, is always a good pick. We have two awesome guests on the show today. Uh, Blake is off for this week, and we have Chris Allen of Fantrax HQ, and we have Anthony Servino of Gridiron Experts. What's going on, guys? How's it going, everybody? How's everybody doing tonight? Feeling good, feeling great. Chris, we've worked for a long time on Fantrax. Obviously, I'm not with Fantrax anymore, but you know, you were always my go-to guy if I ever needed something. I think we always were the guys to plan drafts and things like that. So, you know, I really appreciate you coming on the show, man. Oh, most definitely. And I'm, I'm happy for you. And we, we talked a little bit, you know, through DMs and whatnot, but I mean, very happy and supportive of what you're, what you're now doing with the FF statistics group. I mean, we've uh, on my other show, the dynasty owners manual podcast, uh, we, we've hosted quite a few of the guys that from Addison, uh, to Jesse Reeves, uh, I mean, I mean, name a person over there. We've probably talked to him at some point. So we definitely need to get you on the show at some point to talk a little dino discussion. But you know, I'm here tonight to talk about the NFL, the upcoming draft, and some of the rookies. So let, let's get into it, man. Most definitely, yeah, Anthony. This is uh, your second time on the show, and uh, you know what? I forget what we talked about when you were on. Where, where were we at? What point were we at in the season when you came on? I feel like that was closer to the end of the year. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we were talking, were we talking like a little bit more DFS and uh, kind of like in or outs sort of thing like that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I definitely, I definitely remember the uh, in or outs. Yes. Yeah. Those are, those are always fun during the season. Um, Yeah. If you guys, uh, you know, are into the best ball drafts, um, you know, obviously they're always going on. Check out Chris Allen stuff. He is uh, the best ball guy over at Fantrax, but let's get into it. And I think, you know, the first guy we're going to talk about today before we get into our rookies is a great best ball pick, you know, when we're talking about that. But we want to talk about him from redraft. And then, of course, a dynasty perspective is the most complicated with Leonard Fournette. Right now, his current ADP in redraft is 302. I've seen him fall to the fourth, sometimes fifth round in dynasty startups right now. I think it's blasphemy, guys. I want you to uh, just talk about Leonard Fournette, Anthony, and what do you think of him going into redraft? You know, I know Leonard Fournette had his issues with injuries, and then he had his issues with Tom Coughlin and the, and the team, and he had his, uh, you know, in-team suspension. But I think if the Jaguars weren't going to commit to Leonard Fournette, I think they would have tried to move him. Instead, what we heard was – that Leonard Fournette and the front office, more so Tom Coughlin, they, they mended their relationship and they're going to move forward. And I don't see them bringing back TJ Yeldon. And they brought in a couple of backs last week, but that's Leonard Fournette's backfield. I believe that if Leonard Fournette can stay on the field and can stay healthy, uh, this Jaguars team can – you know, kind of revert back to what we saw from two years ago when they were knocking on the door of the Super Bowl. Wow. Yeah. Chris, uh, is Leonard Fournette on your radar and is it more of an injury risk than anything at this point? No, I mean, I'm not too concerned, at least from the injury standpoint. I think at this point, uh, given the where he's falling in drafts, uh, you kind of see that, that injury discount kind of applied to his cost. So I think that's kind of molded into how we approach drafting Leonard Fournette. But I'm, I'm in lockstep here with, with Anthony here. I, I do believe that when it comes to his role within the team, it's fairly solid. You can look at what they've added behind him. I mean, we, 
so TJ Yeldon is not there, but we've got, who do we have right now? We've got Alfred Blue, uh, and then we've got Thomas Rawls. I mean, a couple of, I would consider to be cast-offs, uh, secondary guys. So, I mean, this is his backfield. So if we consider the offense to continue to operate as it has over the past couple of years in terms of their philosophy being that this is going to be a ground and pound type of uh, type of team and they're going to really try and rely mostly on their defense in order to protect the offense and what they have then we could still see Leonard Fournette getting the a similar number of carries as he was during his uh, during his rookie season and that's really all we that's all we care about here in fantasy volume becomes king and so if if Leonard Fournette is continually put in those positions where he's able to collect the lion's share of the of the volume in that backfield then that's what we want in in drafts so I, I have no issue with taking Leonard Fournette and he's definitely on my radar yeah that's that's a very informed uh, uh, take on on Leonard Fournette because we love the volume and the we loved it so much that he was a first round pick, a late first round pick, early second round pick last year in redraft. And now he's falling into that third round where people don't want to touch him. They're kind of overlooking Fournette. Um, I'm all for it. I, and what I really like about Fournette is, you know, you guys mentioned it. Yeldon isn't there. So Rawls and Alfred Blue aren't really pass catching backs. And we saw Leonard Fournette in eight games actually catch 22 passes. So, you know, if we extrapolate that, let's talk about 44 catches for Leonard Fournette. I'm very happy about that. And, you know, we look at somebody like Zeke, who we thought, ah, well, you know, he's not a pass catcher. You know, we can't really box in talented running backs like that. Leonard Fournette can easily be a pass catcher in this offense. And you talk about Nick Foles. I think a lot of times, and you know, they want to be a ground and pound. You're right, Chris. But I think with these young receivers, they might get into situations where they have to pass the ball. And... I don't think Leonard Fournette is going to come off the field as long as he's healthy. So I really like that for his you know, you know, Steve, to your point about the receptions, in 2017, he had 40, uh, excuse me, 36 receptions in 13 games in his rookie year. It, didn't, it took Zeke a couple of years for him to hit his ceiling last season. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and we're, we're getting to a point where it's like, you know, he's had Yeldon for these years. So now that you're taking away the pass catching back. Um, I, I really like that for his upside. So, yeah, give me Leonard Fournette in the third round. I think, you know, the, the injury risk is, is mitigated into his ADP, so you're not really losing the value there. Like, if he was a mid-second-round pick, the risk is there. As long as his ADP stays where it's at, I think we're good. And then in Dynasty, oh, man. I mean, at this point right now, if you're in Dynasty startups, he's falling. You'll see it. The value is there. So I say buy him all day. Um, speaking of TJ Yeldon, he hasn't found a, a home just yet, but he did visit the Patriots just this week. Um, Chris, if he lands on the Patriots, do you like his value or would you prefer him going somewhere else? I'd honestly prefer him going somewhere else because it's hard for me. So let me preface this real quick because I'm assuming that there are going to be no other moves that would occur afterwards. Now, the logical decision, or I guess the, I would assume the logical outcome would be that TJ Yellman gets signed and then maybe somebody like Rex Burkhead gets cut. But although, even though Rex Burkhead has utility in both the offense and special teams, I don't really see that happening. But I'm assuming that we're going to wind up with four running backs that could possibly be on the field at any given point in time. So I wouldn't be all too interested in buying into that offense, like not, not now in 2019. Now, fast forward a year, maybe, if, he's, if he retains a, a spot there, a roster spot there in 2020, then sure. But otherwise, no, I'd rather, I'd prefer Yeldon to go to, you know, somewhere different, uh, let's say like a, maybe a Houston, something mm -hmm. like I, that. I love the Houston take. Yeah, where where we could see where we see a path to both targets and rushing ability, and and we know that, you know, especially with Houston, we know that they have a poor offensive line and a mobile quarterback. So the pairing there with Deshaun Watson, I think that would just be a match made in heaven. So if, for me personally, while the any any player of fantasy value that meets with the Patriots is always something to take note of, because if the Patriots are taking interest in you, then the entire league should be taking interest in you. And then, of course, that filters down to the fantasy community. But really, when it comes down to production and what we would want to see in a player once we try and roster them and put them onto our team, we really are expecting some sort of 
I don't know, like a few touchdowns here and there, a constant floor of touches. And I just don't see that in New England. I would prefer to see him somewhere else. Should we even be worried about TJ Yeldon, like in, in redraft leagues or dynasty, Anthony? Is he someone to, that we can look at as, as relevant? Yeah, I mean, he was productive, uh, at least since Leonard Fournette, anytime he was starting for Fournette or saw significant playing time because Fournette was out, TJ Yeldon was very productive. And at certain times last year, he was one of the most productive PPR backs in, in the NFL. I think TJ Yeldon would be a waste fantasy-wise to go to New England because he would probably be very uh, injury-dependent there. Either that or he's the, the whole backfield, their touches are going to be watered down. You can't forget that they also have Jeremy Hill, who spent last year on injured reserve. Mm. And he seems to be a perfect fit for that short yardage banger that the Patriots want. That's absolutely uh, um, correct. You know, you bring up Houston, I definitely think they're going to bring in a back because uh, Lamar Miller is entering his walk year. That would be a really good landing spot. Uh, Philly, I think they could still be in the running back market. The Cowboys, they don't have an RB2 right now. They haven't re-signed Rod Smith yet. So just a couple of spots right there. And I think one spot that we're overlooking, uh, how about the Tampa Buccaneers? They don't really have a receiving back on that roster and – Look what Bruce Arians did with David Johnson. T.J. Yeldon can take a lead role uh, if he signed, you know, now and, and practice with that team through preseason and training camp. He could beat out Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones. That would be, agree. That would be my dream. I've been all about T.J. Yeldon to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't think that he would be able to carry the load necessarily of like 300 touches. But if he is the primary passing back, in a Arians right. offense, I mean, you've got to love that. And, uh, you know, talk about his pass-catching ability. 78 targets last year for 55 uh, catches, 487 yards, four touchdowns. He was the RB2 – or, I'm sorry, the RB22 in PPR scoring last year. So he was actually very relevant for you just last season. Um, so I like TJ Eldon. I think it's a name that is really just kind of getting thrown away. Um, especially in dynasty drafts, especially in best ball, um, when you have, you know, when you're just, when, when, when people aren't really, you know, picking players that, you know, are, are going to be uh, instrumental in their lineups every week, I think TJ is a great dart throw. Um, I, t I love the Tampa Bay call. I love the Houston call. I think those are the two best situations for him. Uh, real quick, guys, before we get into the rookies, I want to talk about just 2019 early takes on offenses that last year didn't really live up to the bill. They were very disappointing. You really didn't get a lot out of players in these offenses that are going to be, you know, you're going to want shares of, of these offenses in 2019. Chris, why don't you lead us off? Now, we were just talking about this particular offense when we were going through and talking about Leonard Fournette. And I do think that the Jags have enough pieces that – people would want to invest in the receiving group is young I understand that but I mean people were rostering D.D. Westbrook and DFS last season I mean and happily doing that because they saw what he was capable of doing uh, Dante Moncrief is no longer there so we can see a path to targets for even uh, like players like Keelan Cole who I thought he was injured for maybe four or five games last season so we are you need to be at least cognizant of that but of course Leonard Fournette and now with the addition of Nick Foles now, I know that some people are – Nick Foles is somewhat of a controversial quarterback because while he has been able to play a pivotal role in some of these high-pressure situations, obviously becoming the Super Bowl MVP two seasons ago, I mean, we know that he can perform on the field. But when it comes to playing through an entire season, uh, we only have one season of reference to really put that on him, and that wasn't all that great. So what we can think of of him when it comes to the, the Jaguars is, yeah, I think they are going to be able to put him in a lot of successful situations because they do have John DiFilippo down there in order to work with him, which he had time to work with him when he was in Philadelphia. So I think that connection and having that uh, capability to work with his old coach should be able to put that offense on something of a schedule that was much better than what they had with Blake Bortles. So you can see that progression with D.D. Westbrook. You can see that progression 
uh, even with Leonard Fournette and be able to move the offense and have both the running back game or the running game and the wide receiver game kind of work in tandem as they matriculate the ball down the field. So while a lot of people were already out on the Jaguars offense last season because they were just so completely down in the dumps, switching quarterbacks left and right, like Bortles completely bottoming out. I think now is the time that you can invest because all the prices for all for each of these players that I just mentioned are going to be so low. I mean, all of their values are going to be suppressed, but I think there should be some optimism and given the way that both the team is set up, the quarterback that they have and the young talent they have at receiver, it, it, I think it'll be worth something to invest in in 2019. Yeah. And don't forget about Marquise Lee. Don't forget about DJ. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, these guys are going to be there. So we like DD a lot and, you know, I think that he can stand out as the wide receiver one on this team, but Marquise Lee is going to be there. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, so I I really like this offense. I I think that's a good call. Anthony, what's your offense for 2019? Before we move on from the Jaguars, how about Jeff Swaim? I think he's a real under-the-radar tight end addition. Uh, He'll be on the field a lot because he can – he's a pretty good pass catcher and a really good run blocker. He flashed a little bit in Dallas, and with the way Nick Foles used the tight end in Philadelphia, Swaim could be a really – a nice little dart throw, and it's not going to cost you nothing. He could be a, a Mr. Irrelevant pick. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. That's a great call. But uh, on to my team, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. I feel like the Bengals are in line for a bounce back. Uh, I like the fact that they moved on from Marvin Lewis and Zach yes. Taylor. He's young. He is going to inject life into this team that seemingly they were running in a hamster wheel with Marvin Lewis. And sometimes when, uh, you know, the coach or the locker room, they get stale and you inject a a young offensive mind in there. I think this team, they're all going to be healthy. You know, Joe Mixon, A.J. Green, Tyler Eifert, Andy Dalton, they all miss time. If everybody can get on a field and get healthy, you know, Joe Mixon is already proving. Didn't he lead the AFC in rushing in 14 games? I mean, this team has it all. They just need to put it all together. And I think that they can do that. And if you look at Andy Dalton, I know a lot of people don't believe in Andy Dalton, but in his years two and three, he finished as a a QB one. He finished as the QB 12 in 2012 and a QB five in 2013. So we know Andy Dalton has the ability to put up those big numbers and for the Bengals to put up some big offensive numbers. I look at Joe Mixon as a guy who could be like potential fantasy MVP next year. He's got absolutely he's that he's got that kind of talent and you know you're gonna get him at you know in the early second round maybe he fall, maybe he falls late second round um so i think there's gonna be some inherited value he's already a top 10 running back in his second year in 2018 and, and he played with a what a torn meniscus right yeah. mm-hmm. and and like you said a very mundane offense i mean if we can just see just some sort of spark if aj green can just stay healthy and you know now we're relying on health you know with with A.J. Green and Tyler Eifert. I think that A.J. Green can put it together. I hope, you know, the foot is all right. But we did see Tyler Boyd, the emergence of a Tyler Boyd. And, you know, if we get all of those players on the field at the same time, it's going to benefit each one of them. Um, So I think that, you know, once A.J. Green goes down, that hurts Joe Mixon's upside. You know, if Tyler Eifert isn't there, that can hurt A.J. Green from not, you know, know, being single-covered, double-covered. I think that if they could be healthy, Cincinnati's going to be great. All of these players are going to have value in their ADP. They're not going to be, you know, A.J. Green, you can get him in the third round right now. I mean, we haven't seen that in a long time. Um, so, you know, I love me some A.J. Green this year. Andy Dalton, before things went south, in the first quarter of last season in September, he threw 11 touchdowns in the first four weeks. Yeah. No, I, I mean, no you're, yeah. you're right. And we were thinking very differently of this Bengals. Two 300-yard games. Sorry to interrupt. No, we were thinking very differently of this Bengals offense at one point. Uh, but it did go downhill very fast. Uh, you know, we, we have recency bias, you know. And, you know, getting into my team, the Detroit Lions, Matthew Stafford has fallen off the map. But let me tell you that Matthew Stafford was a top 10 quarterback for three straight years before 2018. So – you know, I, I'm not saying go buy Matthew Stafford everywhere, but what I'm saying is 
obviously people are becoming aware that you wait for a quarterback. You know, we're seeing that more and more where the first quarterback is taken maybe like in the third or fourth round. Um, you know, it's not like it used to be. I mean, you know, it's going to be different with Patrick Mahomes. I think that he's an outlier. But after that, you know, there's, you're going to be able to get Russell Wilson in the 10th round in redraft leagues. So, you know, if we're waiting and you're just, you know, you're waiting even to the 14th round, Matthew Stafford's going to be there. Now, he was the quarterback 20 last season. It was a new offense. It was a new scheme. Obviously, Matt Patricia wants to run the ball a little bit more. But I think that he's going to come back to earth in Matthew Stafford. I think that he's going to be closer to that top 12. He was actually a top eight quarterback for three straight years from 2015 to 2017. Got to love Kenny Galladay this year. He is the clear-cut wide receiver one for the first time going into a season. Golden Tate is gone. There are a lot of targets available. And then, of course, don't forget about Marvin Jones, who I think is, again, another value um, in redraft leagues. I think Marvin Jones is going to be just fine as long as he gets something like eight touchdowns. You know, that's what you want from Marvin Jones. And then, of course, on Johnson. I think that actually, you know, if we get a full season of on Johnson, which I think we got, you know, something like 12, 13 games from him last year, we're going to see that help Matthew Stafford a lot um, because he's going to be used more in the passing game this season. Um, so I, I really like what I see from the Lions when I look at them as a fantasy offense because there's just value all over the place with them. What do you make of uh, Danny Amendola? You know, you, you bring up Golden Tate's vacated targets. They bring in Danny Amendola. You know, he's a pretty good value, and you're getting him in what, rounds 12 and later? I mean, Dynasty probably even later than that. Yeah, I mean, he's going to go undrafted everywhere. Uh, you know, there's going to be so many Danny Amendola's just on the waiver wire, and then week two, you know, he gets like 12 targets. You know what I mean? And everyone's going to go crazy. But with Danny Amendola, he just never plays a full 16. Um, so when he's on the field, I love it. I, you know, I mean, we saw Bruce Ellington have value last year when he was on Detroit in that slot role. Um, so, yeah, no, you're right. Danny Amendola is, is – and then Jesse James. I think they're going to uh, draft a tight end, but I like Jesse James coming into this role. Um, we, you know, for Big Ben, he was a very reliable tight end. Um, so, you know, Jesse James could be a name, especially in Dynasty Leagues, that, you know, why not as a dart throw? No, but I think the big point to take away from this entire offense is that all of that value, it, it, intersects, at, it intersects at Matt Stafford. Mm. So whatever you think of – I guess the, the quarterbacks that are going ahead of him, you could at least look at him as the almost the quintessential late round target for 2019, because you can see what they're trying to build around him. They already have the established players or pieces of an offense in Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay. You got carry on coming in for his second year, but now with all these additions, we just talked about a slot receiver replacement with Danny Amendola. We're talking about a tight end, at least a, a tight end of note that can at least catch some passes and move things down the field and be a chain mover in Jesse James. So all of that, I mean, while we might be able to see parts and pieces that have value, but it all intersects at, Matt, at Matthew Stafford, who had a down year. I mean, it was a down year, and when the offense completely changed on him, and we've seen that happen beforehand when teams switch offensive coordinators and head coaches. So you can assume that at least for 2019, there should be something of a resurgence because Matthew, Matthew Stafford, he's not a bad quarterback. He just needs some time to adjust. And given what he has in front of him now, I think that the value should be there for him to be drafted in 2019. Yeah, I mean, top eight quarterback for three straight seasons and then down the quarterback 20. Uh, we just have to understand that we're going to regress to the mean at some point. Um, and he's got – he has good weapons. Um, so, yeah, Matthew Stafford and the Lions offense for 2019. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All right, guys, let's get into these rookies. This is what we've all been waiting for. And I'm going to lead off with my favorite. He has jumped into my RB1 spot at this point. It was Josh Jacobs for so long. But 
Miles Sanders is my RB1 out of this rookie class. And coincidentally, I just got the notification on my sleeper app that he's drawing interest and he's going to be visiting a whole rack of teams, including the Atlanta Falcons, which Chris, sorry to spoil it. That is your team. I want you to lead us off here. Why does he fit in with the Atlanta Falcons? We're going to talk about ideal landing spots for these running backs. Um, I think the biggest thing with Miles Sanders and a lot of people, especially when I first started, uh, digging into his his traits and his cap- and his ability on the field is look who he had to play behind. I mean, imagine having that much talent and that much on-field ability or production just like just you know brewing beneath the surface, but you're playing behind one of the best talents to ever come out in like in probably a decade. I mean, yeah. think about that. I mean, you're stuck behind Saquon Barkley for however many years, and yet this guy. I mean, it's just. His talent, I think, in his both his size-adjusted agility, his workout metrics, I mean, everything points to yet another superstar that Penn State was able to hold on to. I mean, I just think that having that, that amount of talent in a single backfield is just, it's just absurd to me. But looking at what he can do on the field, I mean, what he can do between the tackles, what he can do as a receiver, uh, I mean, I think he has the whole package. So if you're trying to compare Miles Sanders to Josh Jacobs, I still give the edge to Josh Jacobs, given the level of competition that he had to play with coming from the school that he came from. But still, I mean, Miles Sanders has to be up there in the conversation for the, for the RB1 for this class because of what he can do, what he, what he would bring to any team, and how he would be able to operate on the field to be able to produce on the field. You bring up his workout metrics, uh, 44940, 75th percentile speed score, 75th percentile burst score, 82nd percentile agility score. Dude's off the charts as far as his combine. It really caught a lot of people's attention. But, you know, if you look at the highlights and he really obviously working out of the shotgun predominantly, a lot of draws and open space for Miles Sanders. But what I like about him is his decisive cuts and his ability to hit the open field and not look back. I mean, some of his, you know, cuts are reminiscent of the person that he was behind in Saquon Barkley. I mean, if you look at him split, uh, you know, through two or three defenders, um, you know, he didn't really catch the ball too much, but it wasn't really the style of offense. And that's what I kind of like. And then, you know, Chris, you can piggyback off of this. I really love when we pigeonhole running backs as like non-pass catchers just because they didn't do it in college that doesn't mm-hmm. mean they can't do it and that's the best sort of value you can find in a running back that could potentially do it in the nfl well look at what we did with Leonard fournette i right. mean it was the, it was the same thing that happened was because oh well look at look at his we go to the counting stats we look at how many passes how many receptions that Leonard fournette had in his collegiate career but at the same time, look at the offense that he came from. That is not how LSU runs their offense. That is not traditionally how we view running backs coming out of there. Same thing here. I mean, with Penn State, that is not traditionally how, I mean, at least uh, over the last like five or six years, I mean, that's not what we've looked for out of the running backs, but that's not to say that they can't do it. And even when Miles Sanders did catch the ball, I saw soft hands. I saw that he was able to catch the ball and, uh, and also the way that his body was able to work back towards the ball and actually move and like almost, I would say, not. I don't think he's the same route runner as Saquon Barkley, but you do see the ability to perform in that type of role on the field. And I think that the only, at least when I was first digging into his tape, my only, I guess, uh, concern was that the way that he played and also just by judging by his size, he could be viewed as maybe just a third down change of pace back. But at 5'11", and I think he's well at like 210, somewhere in there. Yes. I mean, he, he profiles as a three down back. So I think that it's wheels up for him. Definitely wheels up. Like I said, uh, I think he's going to draw a lot of interest. I would love it. I think the dream situation for any running back coming out of, of this class would be to land in Tampa Bay. So he's my favorite, and this would be my favorite landing spot, which would be Tampa Bay. Um, if he gets into this situation, I don't see him not winning the job, if not in training camp, by early on in the season. He's going to beat out Ronald Jones. He's going to beat out Peyton Barber. 
And then I think you got Miles Sanders in a great situation. So if he is a Tampa Bay Buccaneer, I think that people are going to be, you know, various, you know, they're going to recognize that there's going to be a lot of value. And I think it's, you know, you're going to still have to pay an interesting price for Miles Sanders. I mean, Anthony, if, if Miles Sanders landed on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where would his ADP be? You know, like you said, you think he would beat out Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones from what we know of Ronald Jones. He's not the best receiver out of the backfield. And, you know, I brought it up before with Bruce Arians wanting that pass catching back. Well, Miles Sanders can do that. And I think if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers drafted him, he would immediately be the best pass, best pass catching back on that roster. No question. No question. And, you know, if we talked about like Josh Jacobs or someone like that, if they landed in this role, I think it would be the same sort of thing. I do think that if it was a, if Jacobs landed in Tampa Bay, you would see that ADP kind of skyrocket where Miles Sanders, you would get the better price there. How do you guys feel about the Bears as a potential landing spot? I don't hate that. I love that. Yeah. You know, I like Mike Davis a lot, but if the Bears, you know, if they don't like him as much as maybe you or I do, they could potentially get a Miles Sanders in rounds two or three. You know, they don't have a, a one or two draft pick. Right. So they would have to trade back into the second or get him or hope maybe he falls to them in the third round. Yeah. I, do they have a third round pick? I forget if they do this year or not. Okay. Cause I, I thought I, the third was the earliest they had. I could be wrong. You might be, you might be right. It's either a third or the fourth. They definitely don't have first two. And mm -hmm. I think that Sanders could be available in the third round. Uh, but you know, if they want him, uh, you know, we've seen in the past, the bears are not bashful to move up to get a player. Um, so we could easily see that. Yeah. The bears actually have the 87th overall pick. Uh, in the draft, that's going to be their first pick, which I believe is in the early part of the third round. Oh, yeah, that's perfect spot for Miles Sanders. Um, we'll, we'll see if he jumps up into that second round, maybe late first round. I don't think that he'll make it in the first round, uh, but it would be interesting. I, I think that of all the running backs, he has the most buzz right now. Uh, but let's stick with these running backs. We're going to talk about Daryl Henderson out of Memphis. He's a smaller back, 5'8", uh, but 208, so he's stocky. Um, didn't really like again you know the system was out of the shotgun he didn't really catch a lot of passes you think he's can be that guy uh, but we really didn't see it in college Anthony what where do you think that Daryl Henderson would be most valuable you know I know he's been on visits with uh, quite a few teams but what about a team like the Ravens who could be in the market to bring in another running back? I know they brought in a Mark Ingram. They still have Gus Edwards. But behind him, I know Buck Allen's a free agent. And he's unsigned. Ty Montgomery. And, of course, they cut uh, Alex Collins. So they definitely need a, a third running back. Well, that would, that would be interesting. I mean, they have Kenneth Dixon there. Um, it's, and I don't know what they're going to do with Ty Montgomery. I think Buck Allen is, is definitely gone. Um, but yeah, Daryl Henderson, I mean, look, if he was a depth piece for the Ravens, I think it makes sense for what they want to do. They want to pound the ball and then, you know, another talented running back obviously would fit in, would be, you know, bad for fantasy purposes, obviously. I mean, he's received comps to, I think, Jarek McKinnon and, and James White. So I think he would be a perfect fit because I don't think Ty Montgomery, he's done there. Yeah, you know, yeah. And they need something a little bit more reliable than Kenneth Dixon. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. No, they, if they want to give competition to someone like that to, to Kenneth Dixon and say, hey, look, you're, you're going to have some competition for this third running back. Because I think we can see Gus Edwards as that second running back right now. Not guaranteed. I don't, they don't owe Gus Edwards anything. I think they like what they saw with him last year. And I think he can be valuable to that team for, you know, uh, red zone purposes and just, you know, taking – giving uh, Mark Ingram a breather. But I like him with the Titans. You know, we see the clear path for uh, touches with Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis. At a certain point, the Titans got together and they said, okay, when we give it to Derrick Henry and let him get going early, boy, does he finish games. And that's what they know now that I guess they didn't know for the first two years of his career. They know it now. And they're going to continue to pound that ball to Derrick Henry because when you give him 15 carries before the fourth quarter, guess what? He's the kind of guy who keeps going, and he needs that to keep going. But we kind of saw Deion Lewis not do a lot when they tried to make him a workhorse. 
they actually gave him like 20 touches uh, for the, the, the medium part of the season. He was getting like 20 touches for like two or three straight games. And he really didn't do a lot with that. I think if you get a guy like Daryl Henderson in there for the Titans, he actually could be fantasy relevant and have standalone value as a change of pace back for Derrick Henry. You get a rookie in there who is explosive like Daryl Henderson is. I mean, we're talking the sub 4 five forty. Um, and a speed score of 71st percentile. Uh, we saw it in Memphis. What he does is he gets it and he goes. Uh, I talked about out of the shotgun, which Marcus Mariota thrives in. Obviously, we saw it for years out of Oregon. And I think they're going to get it together and have Marcus Mariota run that run pass option out of the shotgun. Daryl Henderson would just be great in that system. I don't hate that at all. Um, I actually would like him to see him in Jacksonville paired with Leonard Fournette. I think the biggest knock against Daryl Henderson, like while you were just talking about like his, his speed and like his burst, but I think one of the big things that he didn't really show off all too well at, at the combine and also like while he was uh, is, is his power and yep. like his power through runs. And so if you have a banger like Leonard Fournette in front of you, and then you almost have, let's say, somebody that I'm not saying that he's going to be TJ Yeldon like, but that is also, but like that fast, shifty type of run, uh, type of running back to complement what Leonard Fournette can do. I think those two would make at least a nice running back duo that could work well in Jacksonville. And I think also with the way that their offensive line works and the type of uh, blocking scheme that they run, that also kind of fits what Daryl Henderson was able to do. Uh, when he was still in college. So I think those two pieces right there, I think he would perform well in Jacksonville. Uh, the other thought, even though it's already kind of crowded, uh, like over there is San Francisco, uh, just running towards the outside and trying to make some of those mismatches with either uh, either corners or linebackers. But again, with the, they already have so many running backs already already out there. It doesn't make too much too much sense. Right. But if you look at a guy that can move that quickly and also is fairly adept at being a receiver, those types of situations are kind of what you would want to see, like a, a Jacksonville, a San Francisco, even a Philly, like somewhere in there. But but somewhere akin to those types of offenses would be fine. Yeah, and I really like the the Devonte Freeman comp because he's a he's a lower to the ground sort of running back, and he has you know he has uh, the weight that you know you would think would give him power. But we really didn't see that flash uh, on his highlight tape, and he didn't really need to. Um, he saw a lot of open field at Memphis, um, so obviously where he can go and work in space would be best. Um, for Daryl Henderson, because I don't think that he's a guy who's going to be able to generate the space for himself. Um, but one guy who can do that for himself is Josh Jacobs, and you're going to be paying a first-round draft pick in Dynasty drafts uh, for Josh Jacobs out of Alabama. We saw the pass catching. We saw that he has the ability to be a three-down back, and I think that's what's making the fantasy community go goo over Josh Jacobs. I have him going to the Raiders. I love that, you know, I, I really think that John Gruden is going to draft pieces in this offense to make his offense work. He brought in players that he wanted, and he's gotten rid of who he's wanted to. So he's really kind of molding this offense. So I think he's going to have fun in this draft. They acquired enough draft picks uh, in the Khalil Mack trade, so I think they're going to use them. And I think that we really are going to see Josh or John Gruden favor the offense and use those picks towards playmakers for the offense. So if they have two late first-round picks, I think they can use one on Josh Jacobs. Um, I don't see Isaiah Crowell as the answer there, so I think they're going to bring in somebody, and Jacobs would fit in pretty nicely. I think that'd be the spot right there for him. Um, I, I picked Tampa because, as we, we've all discussed already, I mean, Tampa is like the spot for any premier running back one type of prospect. So if you could get somebody with Josh Jacobs' profile, I mean, the versatile back, the big back, the banger, I mean, whatever type yeah. of whatever moniker you want to put with his type <laughs> of – he can do it all. Yeah. So putting him in Tampa Bay, I think, would be, I mean, just a fantasy point bonanza. I mean, that would be, I, I, that, that would be the, the highlight landing spot of the evening if they were to draft him. They draft him – I think in after leagues, you're probably looking at a fifth, sixth round pick for Josh Jacobs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and 
But uh, Anthony, I, I love this uh, this um, landing spot for him. Yeah, I have Josh Jacobs going to uh, the Texans, and I know he is being linked all over the place to the Raiders, but the Texans have the 23rd overall pick. They're a few spots ahead of Oakland. I said it before, there's definitely a need with Lamar Miller entering his walk year. He's not going to be brought back. He's been a perennial disappointment since leaving Miami. And Dante Foreman, can you depend on him to stay healthy? The Texans are going to draft a running back. It's a matter of where. And if they can get Josh Jacobs, it wouldn't surprise me if he surpassed Lamar Miller as the uh, week one RB1. Yeah, I mean, they are one you know, dynamic running back away from a Super Bowl push. So I think that the Texans, you know, they want to utilize the years they have with J.J. Watt and, uh, and Clowney. You know, they have to utilize those years. They got the Honey Badger back there. The defense is fine. And if they use that late first-round pick on a running back, I think you could see a shift uh, in the Texans going from a first-round exit to potentially a division winner and – going deep into the playoffs. I love that for Josh Jacobs. Um, you know, Lamar Miller can be used also. So, if you know, and I think that, you know, you will be fine with Josh Jacobs in fantasy if he lands in Houston as a complimentary pass-catching role. Um, I think he's going to be fine in that uh, Deshaun Watson-led offense. So let's talk about David Montgomery. Uh, you know, he is one of the higher, you know, you're going to see him off the board uh, higher than most of these guys. Um, in dynasty startups, he is a you know sort. He's a bigger back. He's gonna give you that sort of goal line work. Um, that's where he made his money, uh, so to speak, in college, and that's where he's gonna make his money in the NFL. Um, so I like David Montgomery on the Bears. I think we can see uh, the Bears have a vacancy that needs to be filled, um, and it just seems as if he's just a perfect fit for this team to me. Um, I, I just like his downhill style of running. And I think pairing that with a Tariq Cohen is brilliant for, uh, for what the Matt Nagy and uh, you know, Mitch Trubisky want to do offensively. Yeah. I like a player like Dave Montgomery to land with the bills. The bills are in the market for running back. They let uh, Chris Ivory go. They signed Frank Gore, who I don't know what he has left in the tank, if anything, and LaShawn McCoy. You know, so they have, you know, their top two running backs are a combined age of, what, 65 years old. <laughs> you know, Marcus Murphy, he's probably nothing more than, than depth who's going to be mixed in on third downs. Right. The Bills need a running back. They've been putting pieces around Josh Allen at wide receiver – they kind of revamped their offensive line a little bit this offseason, and the final piece would be bringing, that back, bringing in that running back of the future to grow with Josh Allen and these young receivers they have around him. Chris, do you agree with that? I mean, do you think that they're going to bring in somebody, or do you think they're going to leave it as is with Mike Davis and Tariq Cohen? Uh, I would almost think they have to at this point. Like, while I do appreciate like Mike Davis's talent, I mean, we're, we're talking about a quote-unquote, let's say, middle to you know late stage running back. So they're going to need to bring somebody in in order to to really kind of keep pushing that offense because I mean, there are a lot of expectations for them. I mean, th this is a team that. Uh, while they've you know they've got the they've got the quarterback they they've they invested in the quarterback they brought in the receivers they brought in the tight end uh, this past season so yeah I mean there there are a lot of high and they've got the defense now as well so yeah there are a lot of expectations for for Chicago so I would think that yeah they're they're going to want to continue to invest and make sure that everything or all the pieces have been addressed so they're not relying on a you know, doinked field goal to keep them in the playoffs this coming season. Uh, we had Ryan McDowell on the show, and we were doing a, uh, a, a dynasty startup mock draft, and we were talking about Jordan Howard because, you know, while we were recording live, Jordan Howard got traded. And, you know, Ryan McDowell said, what we really need to do as dynasty owners is take this approach. I mean, you know, you can see that one guy is on his way down, and then you want to replace that with the young running back because – these rookie running backs every year now are valuable in fantasy and it just depends yes. on the situation. And we look at the Bears situation right now, 
they were going to have to pay Jordan Howard at some point. They saw it. They said, no, we don't want to. Now, this is exactly what the Cowboys did. DeMarco Murray had 1,800 yards, and they said, no, we're not paying him. We're going to draft a running back, and it turned out to be great, obviously, with the generational talent. I'm not saying there's any Ezekiel Elliott's in this draft. What I'm saying is they see that they, for the cheap, they can put somebody in this role, like a David Montgomery or someone like that, and they can really have the same success with that they would have had with Jordan Howard. Right. Yeah, and I agree. I think that's the. I think it would be have to be the right approach for them. Whoever gets this spot in Chicago, they're going to be inheriting, presumably inheriting, two hundred and seventy vacated touches by Jordan Howard. Exactly, and that that's going to be a prominent position in fantasy football. So that, that's RB one volume. No question. Unless you're Jordan Howard, then it's RB2. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, then your efficiency ruins it afterwards. <laughs> so what's your spot for Dave Montgomery, Chris? Um, so I'm looking at, I mean, the Pittsburgh chaos, let's just leave it at that, uh, has been enough such that I, I, while I do think that Ben Roethlisberger is a talented quarterback, he's still left with, I think, a decent receiving core headlined by Juju Smith-Schuster. But I do think that the, I would say the the cap or their ceiling has been reduced without having a player of Antonio Brown's talent there. So while they were able to get by last year in using the tandem of both James Conner and then Jalen Samuels, who came on uh, towards the end of the season, um, they, they do need a little bit more creativity coming out of the backfield. While James Conner has been, I mean, a wonderful success story, uh, you know, definitely rooting for the kid. But it does seem like with the way like his style of play and Jalen Samuel's style of play, they're so different, defenses should be able to start to key off of that. So they will be able to understand like what type of play is going to happen when they see those two backs on the field. I don't think that'd be the case if they were switching off between James Conner and David Montgomery. David Montgomery, his skill set, the way that he runs, also his ability as a receiver should be able to mask some of those changes in the plays if he were to come in and maybe spell James Conner you know during during any particular game whereas with Jalen Samuels you kind of know what what's what to expect you know it's going to be a passing play even though Pittsburgh wound up passing at one of the highest rates in the league last season we do expect that to regress so there's going to have to be a little bit more creativity in the running game I think David Montgomery could provide that I love that call. Yeah, it seems like, you know, they understand Stephen Ridley isn't, you know, isn't the answer. So they can definitely bring in a guy who can dispel, uh, you know, uh, James Conner's work. You know, they, uh, it would be unwise for them to really pound James Conner at this point. I mean, he's only 23 years old, but I, I think that that's, you know, kind of built into what they want to do with preserving him as much as they can. They don't want to run him into the ground um, at this point. So, yeah, they have to do that. And uh, Jalen Samuels, obviously, is a great pass catcher. He played really well. You know, when James Conner was out, Jalen Samuels played great. So mm-hmm. he is still out for the majority of the touches in this uh, backfield. I think we can look to James Conner as that guy. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's more of a, you know, running back by committee sort of thing. That's not something that we've seen in the Steelers for a long time. But, you know, it, we've also seen Le'Veon Bell one of the best running backs in the league on this team. So we might see a little bit more of a split than we think with Pittsburgh. I agree. Let's get into these receivers. And, you know, this is kind of the more intriguing position for me this season. Um, Chris, we were talking off air. There's just so many guys. Like, you can look at anyone's list, and it's different for the top five receivers. But one guy that it always comes back to is Enkeel Harry of Arizona State, and Fantasy Football Calculator has him at the 101. So there's a lot of places that he would fit in. It looks like he will be drafted in the first round. Anthony, where is Enkeel Harry going to have the most productive value for fantasy? I think I can see a situation where a team like the Cardinals can potentially trade back into the first round, or if he should slip. Uh, to the second round, come back and get Harry. I mean, you have Larry Fitzgerald, who doesn't have a lot of time left in this league. You have Christian Kirk. And behind that, there's absolutely positively nothing. I mean, next on the depth chart, I'm saying, is what, Trent Sheffield. Yeah. You know, Chad Williams. You know, that project seemed to fail last year. 
Cardinals absolutely need a wide receiver. I think Harry, Harry would be a great fit. Could you imagine if they get Kyler Murray and then kill Harry somehow? I mean, oh, ridiculous. It's, it's possible. It, it would be really insane. But I think that we are going to see if they draft Kyler Murray, we're going to see them draft one of these receivers we're talking about today. Or if not, they almost have to. Yeah. Listen, no. I mean, when you bring in a coach like Cliff Kingsbury and his air raid system, you need to have the personnel for him to succeed. Mm-hmm. 100%. Chris, yeah. where do you see Harry going? Uh, so with Harry, there, I guess it depends on – for your, people's evaluation of Harry, it depends on how they see him. I mean, if you see him as a big slot type of guy, like a la Jordan Matthews, like players of that ilk, okay – but I think he's versatile enough that he can operate out of the slot. He can operate out, out um, off the perimeter. So he, can, he really is as versatile as they come. And he has the, the size and the speed. Now, he didn't run the agility drills, if I'm not mistaken, at the combine. So really, we're just relying on both his size, size and speed in order to figure out, well, what type of receiver he can be. And I, I would love to see him in Seattle. I really would. I mean, pair him with Tyler Lockett. Hopefully, Doug Baldwin can hold on for another season. And even though David Moore flashed uh, last season, I think that Harry. I mean, Akil, he could really like he could really set that offense on on the right on the right track and maybe pull and maybe show Brian Schottenheimer the light and say that we don't need to run the ball, you know, three uh, three straight downs or anything like that. We can actually use this prolific quarterback that we have under center. And maybe pass the ball you know, more than uh, I forget how many pass attempts that Russ had this season. But you can actually utilize the the, the elite quarterback that you have. So I think Nikhil Harry, I think, would be a great fit in Seattle. I would love to see them running three receiver sets with Lockett, Harry, and Baldwin. Oh my gosh, that that would just be amazing. Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen a dominant sort of physical specimen in this offense at the receiver position in a long time. Um, so I think that it can only benefit a guy like Russell Wilson. Um, I like him going to the Ravens. I mean, you know, obviously we're going to talk about teams that, you know, all of these teams have a need. The Ravens probably have the most need for a wide receiver at this point. And what better way to, you know, get – start off a draft of getting Akeel Harry in the first round. Now, I don't know if he's going to fall to them. They might have to trade up because I think Buffalo uh, might want to snatch him up in the top 10. But if he falls um, and, you know, we just don't know what's going to happen with these wide receivers, uh, Baltimore would be great. I think Lamar Jackson would really benefit from a guy like Akeel Harry who's shorthanded, can go up and get the 50-50 ball. Um, We haven't seen, you know, the best from Lamar Jackson when it comes to passing the ball. I think if you get a guy like Harry who can be, like you say, Chris, in the slot or on the outside, you have – and then if they can develop a chemistry and a reliability factor, I mean, it could be wheels up for Nkeel Harry. Let's go into – I want to talk about Paris Campbell here because we were just talking about the Seahawks, Chris, and I really like Paris Campbell, a guy who's – kind of the opposite of a Harry. He's not your typical prototypical wide receiver one, right? He is more going to be more of a gadget sort of guy in the NFL. Um, he's six foot 205. I mean, he can be kind of like a Marquise uh, Goodwin, but he's more going to be more polished, obviously, as a wide receiver because he's not a track sort of guy. He is he is wide receiver through and through, four three one forty. I mean, the, the metrics are off the charts for Paris Campbell. I would love to see him in Seattle because I don't think they've had a guy like that who can just catch a screen and take it to the house. Tyler Lockett's role as the deep threat is locked in. You know, he's going to have that role. He can stretch the field. Um, he can be that guy. But if they get a guy like Paris Campbell who can, you know, take a slant, and use that playmaking ability in the open space. I mean, we just haven't seen that see uh, Seahawks offense in a very long time. So Paris Campbell out of Ohio State, I, I love him as a Seahawk this year. No, I think I, I agree with that. I think that would be a nice fit for him. And even though, yeah, he was he was primary slot guy. It, you said what six foot two hundred five, like somewhere in there. Uh, I think that's kind of where I'm hoping he doesn't get pigeonholed into that role because I think with his route running technique, he is capable of doing at least a little bit more than what we'd assume a general slot receiver to be. So 
I mean, my pick for him was was the Packers, even though, I mean, they they've had. Uh, I mean, Devonte Adams, like his slot role uh, was actually increased over like over this past season. They want to try and work him in there a little bit more in the 2019 season. I mean, they already they drafted two receivers last year. Uh, they're still holding on to Geronimo Allison, and again. This team is going through a little bit, a little bit of chaos after that Bleacher Report came out. But regardless, I do think that somebody of Paris Campbell's ability would be just a phenomenal match with Aaron Rodgers. I think from day one, because if his, because if Aaron Rodgers is as particular about where receivers are supposed to be at, how they run their routes, if they're capable of fighting through coverage and fighting through uh, like press or man coverage. Paris Campbell, I think, would be able to win on the interior at a rate that would be at least acceptable to, to Aaron Rodgers in order to play on the Green Bay Packers. So I think if we're already seeing or already hearing about some of the issues with the other receivers and how they aren't able to match up with the routes that he wants them to run, I think Paris Campbell might be able to do that right out of the gate more so than the ones they've already drafted. So I would love to see him in Green Bay. Yeah, I mean, what we learned from last year, if we learned anything about the Packers wide receivers, is that none of the rookies from last season have earned their spot. They haven't solidified anything. Not at all. Jamon Moore, uh, MVS. Yeah, Equinemius St. Brown, Marcus Valdez-Scantling. I mean, none of them. Scantling was the one who flashed, but it, it was pretty disappointing overall. And we saw the frustration from Aaron Rodgers. What if he gets a guy like Paris Campbell who can take the lid off of an offense? I mean, that could be the thing that gets him back into that top three discussion. Absolutely. Yeah, that's kind of like, for me, that, that's more, that's like a, an upgraded uh, Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb of years ago. I think that Devontae Adams, Paris Campbell combo would be off the charts. Love to see that. Paris Campbell would be a nice fit in Philadelphia. There's no guarantee that Nelson Aguilar is going to return. There's been conflicting reports, one saying that Nelson Aguilar is on the trading block, another one saying he's going to come back. Either way, I don't think Nelson Aguilar has a future past 2019 in Philadelphia. Deshaun Jackson, they brought him in, signed him to a three-year deal. They have him until he's 35, but how long is he going to be – continuing to be a productive receiver and Alshon Jeffrey isn't really you know the youngest guy in the world either I think Paris Campbell would be a great fit in this offense it gives uh, Carson Wentz another dynamic weapon they drafted offense last year with Dallas Goddard in the second round and I think they can make a similar move uh, with two second round draft picks and possibly swooping in to get Campbell yeah, I mean, what a problem that would be for defenses for Deshaun Jackson and Paris Campbell to be on the field at the same time. I mean, that – you talk about fly, Eagles, fly. I mean, they would really be high-powered uh, to bring in a talent like Campbell. Um, and it would be smart because, like you said, you know, Deshaun Jackson's not getting younger, and he's inevitably going to miss time. They would lose nothing if, if they have Campbell and they have the benefit of or the luxury of having both of them on the field at the same time. But when Deshaun Jackson inevitably gets hurt, you don't lose that speed. You don't lose that guy who can take the lid off a uh, defense. Oh, absolutely. You know, they, they are going to pay Aguilar close to $9 million this year. The Eagles seem to be one of those teams who are always in cap issues. They can solve some of that problem by bringing in a rookie receiver like Paris Campbell. I love it. Let's move on to A.J. Brown of Ole Miss, who, you know, a lot of people, there's rumblings. I mean, there's rumblings that he is the true best receiver coming out of uh, Ole Miss, and which is a slide, of course, of DK Metcalf. But A.J. Brown works predominantly out of the slot, and he gets the yards after the catch. He finishes runs. Uh, he has the shiftiness that you want. He has the speed. And, you know, of course, that slot receiver role is always valuable in fantasy football in today's uh, NFL. I really like him going to the Raiders. A.J. Brown, the other A.B., you know, he's one of the cousins of Antonio Brown coming out of – one of two cousins of Antonio Brown coming out of this draft class. A.J. Brown, of course, there's talk that they want to link up in Oakland. Um, And then if you have Antonio Brown on the outside, Tyrell Williams on the outside, and you can put a good, reliable slot receiver like A.J. Brown in there, because I think he's NFL ready. I don't think there's going to be a learning curve if you put him in the slot in the Oakland Raiders offense. Of course, we saw with Michael Crabtree for years, 
uh, Derek Carr likes to find that intermediate route runner. Um, so I think they'll fall in love right away. I think it's a great fit. I mean, with A.J. Brown, I guess my, my concern with him coming out was that his production was always going to be, I guess, overshadowed by playing with the, the big, tall, fast guy, which I call D.K. Metcalf. But <laughs> at the same time, it's like this guy, I mean, he's, what, six foot, like 220, 225, like somewhere in there. I mean, he's a big guy. So if we're thinking about offenses that could use not only a player that can operate, I mean, like a almost like a big slot receiver like type of player, but also somebody that even if their running game isn't as effective, or even if they have smaller running backs that could use like some extra blockers, I mean, there's there are a number of ways that a team could use somebody like AJ Brown. I mean, so that's why I I'd had him go into Kansas City. I mean, I would love to see him like in that offense because while we look at uh, what Patrick Mahomes has been able to do like in just one full season. Uh, we look at how little they've really invested into the running back position, which while some folks agree that that is the proper way to approach the running back position, but still it does kind of leave you open to some risk in terms of durability, what they can produce, things of that nature. And also if we look at the wide receiver core, they've got Sammy Watkins. We don't know what's going to happen with Tyreek Hill, uh, Demarcus Robinson, because uh, Chris Conley isn't there anymore. I, I mean, so what really do we have in order to produce at the wide receiver position? I mean, other than, well, I guess you can count Travis Kelsey in with the wide receivers because that's essentially what he is. Okay. So with A.J. Brown, I, I do think that he could immediately step into that wide receiver two-type role, again, assuming Tyreek Hill is still with the squad. I mean, given what he's been able to produce at Ole Miss and what I think he, how he would complement the rest of that receiving group in Kansas city. Yeah, no, no doubt. I think that the chiefs want to draft a wide receiver, you know, they have to, uh, they have to, you know, have an insurance policy just in case Tyree kill misses 2019. They have to get somebody who they think is reliable um, and, and can make plays. And I think AJ Brown is a playmaker. Um, yeah, I mean, they're going to have to do something because if it's a trade-off between if it's – let's even assume Tyreek Hill is still with the team here in the 2019 season. Travis Kelsey, is he, a, is he about to turn 30? He's either 29, somewhere in there. I mean, yeah. I would assume that he only has a, a few more years left. Same thing with Tyreek Hill. Uh, I mean, with Tyreek Hill like, there, I mean, they're going to need some sort of – I guess, ability to transition those targets to another player. And I think A.J. Brown would work perfectly into that system. Anthony, where are you feeling A.J. Brown going? You know, how about the Chargers? I think the Chargers, they need a wide receiver, especially to replace Tyrell Williams. I know they have Travis Benjamin coming back, but he's very unreliable. Uh, you could stick A.J. Brown in this slot in that offense who passes the ball a ton. He would come into the league with a ton of fantasy worth. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, even uh, the the Chargers, they like to put, you know, a tight end out in the slot. They like to have multiple people or multiple outlets underneath for Phillip Rivers. Uh, so A.J. Brown would work very well with the Chargers. You, know, you also have to keep in mind, you know, Mike Williams had the back issue in his rookie year and Keenan Allen, he's been healthy of late, but he has struggled with injuries in the past. They need a, a quality number three option who can step up in case one of these, you know, uh, Keenan Allen or Mike Williams goes down. Awesome. Yeah, this was fun, guys. I'm really glad we got a chance to get on and talk some rookies. Um, this is going to be the last show most likely before the draft. Um, so we really wanted to dive into some of these guys. Um, and I hope you guys have uh, found some insight on some of these, uh, you know, more controversial guys. Chris, can you just tell the folks what you got coming up uh, for the offseason and what you have planned going into the season? Oh, 100%. Uh, so I've got multiple projects here cooking. Uh, so let's see, with fan tracks, you can catch me doing uh, best ball content almost on a weekly basis because there's just so much with the free agency moves. We've got the, uh, the rookie class coming in. So there's going to be a lot of shifts in ADP. So I'm going to be around trying to quantify and make sure that everybody knows like what the trends are going in the draft rooms over on fan tracks. And now with 4 for 4, another site that I write for, um, I'll be looking into uh, like the weather impacts, so I have some more data, and that's kind of the biggest thing that I'm known for is kind of looking at how 
Uh, bad weather impacts the game, wind speed, snow, rain, like all that good stuff. So I've got a couple more pieces there and some, also some Dynasty content through them that I'll be putting out. And then also I'll have some uh, video content through DLF. Uh, we just got picked up through them. So we'll be doing some draft profiles, what to like doing some Q&A type of video content through DLF. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be an action-packed summer, man. So y'all be able to find me pretty much everywhere that you could uh, look for some content. Fantastic, Chris. Yeah, DLF, uh, definitely interested to see what you got coming there. Anthony, I saw your top 12 uh, QBs on FF Faceoff. Can we expect more rankings coming up? Yeah, I do uh, a lot of on-air work. Uh, over writing uh, in season, I do a weekly column over at Gridiron Experts. I do sleepers and matchups, but year round, I'm really grinding on the FF Faceoff, which can be found at Gridiron Experts and pretty much everywhere else. You can get a podcast or a video stream, and we do all types of shows, whether it's just news and reaction focused. Uh, I work remotely. Uh, during the day. So if breaking news happens and I'm at my desk, I can literally just stream and, and react to that. And we also do all different types of either team uh, driven content, draft driven content will be the focus in the next couple of weeks. And obviously uh, right now is our early rankings. Fantastic, Anthony. Yeah, uh, we are going to be doing something very interesting on the hot take. Me and Blake Sullivan, of course, my co-host on the hot take, we are going to be offering live draft advice. Uh, we're going to be doing live drafts that you can actually video chat us during your draft and get on-the-fly advice. Um, and then, of course, if you just want draft advice in general without us being there for the draft, we're going to have that service provided for you this summer. So more details on that to follow. And then, of course, there's going to be a lot in the works uh, in this offseason, and we may have an announcement in the next week about where my whereabouts will be as far as writing for the 2019 season. Thanks for listening to the Hot Take Podcast. You can find us all over iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to podcasts. On behalf of my guests, Chris Allen, Anthony Savino, my name is Steven Cerrone. This has been the Hot Take Podcast.